Well, as you can tell, I am not Pastor Anthony. I wish I was. I mean, he's, he's a role model for sure. You know, Pastor Anthony is, is man, doing something that I'm going to have to do one day. I'm dreading it. I at least probably got 16 years before I got to deal with it. But he is taking his daughter to college and dropping her off. I don't know if those will be tears of joy, deuces, or if it's like, my baby, my baby, got to let her wings fly away, you know, do your thing. And uh, oh, so we're going to pray for Pastor Anthony. Lord, bless him. Give him a safe trip. Bless Blair in her new endeavor. And just lead her by your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Stuart Barham, and I'm married to April right here. And we've got a two-year-old and one on the way in the end of October. And as if that wasn't enough craziness in my life, because it's not. We're planting a church come January. At the end of January, we're planting a church in Raleigh called City Life. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about that or hear kind of what we're trying to do, what God's put on our heart, citylightraleigh.com, and you can learn more about it. But one of the things that we have the privilege of is being connected with Pastor Anthony through Acts 2. You know, Pastor Anthony was my camp counselor either in the fifth or sixth grade. I don't remember. I was small. But he was my camp counselor. So we go way back. You know, don't worry about the fact I hadn't talked to him in like a couple of decades, you know. But my wife, April, when she went to grad school at State, she was a part of the campus ministry here. And so she knew Pastor Anthony and Pastor Mary Ann. Like, they go way back. So when we moved to Raleigh to plant a church, we came, introduced ourselves, got connected with them, and he told me about Acts 2. Never heard of it. And it was just tremendous. He's such a, him and Acts 2 have just been such a, um, a place of encouragement and faith. And, you know, when he calls me, the first question out of his mouth is always, how are you doing? And the second question, how's April doing? That's what he's concerned about. And then, how's the church? How's your goals? How's it coming together? How's fundraising? How's the team? You know, he's checking on that stuff, but he's more concerned about my heart and my marriage. I tell you, I appreciate that. I honor Pastor Anthony, man. He he knows what it takes to plant a church. And he's, you guys have been going hard, going strong for 12 years. So praise God. I'm excited about what God has in the future for this church. You guys are taking some bold steps of faith. And, hey, the future rewards the brave. So praise God for your faithfulness and stepping out. I'm excited what God has in store. All right. The first service, I totally forgot to do an introduction. I'm just up here going for it, and like no one has a clue who I am. So, all right. Well, I grew up in Wilson, North Carolina. I uh, went to UNCW. If you don't know what that is, that's UNC Wonderful. You, you might have thought it was UNC Wilmington. It's not. It's not. Some people get it twisted and think it's UNC Wrightsville because all they do is spend time at Wrightsville Beach. No, no, that'll, that'll lead you straight. It's UNC Wonderful. And I went there for four years. And a little bit about me in high school, right around 15, 16, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents loved the Lord. They were here in the first service. They're amazing people of faith, people of will. I got to watch them every day, day in and day out, just follow Jesus and, and really minister to me. But right around 15, 16, I, I had no concept of grace. I don't know. You're smarter than me, so you probably got this thing figured out. But I did not have it figured out. I Somehow or another, my walk with the Lord was all about me and my performance and how well I could keep the law. And around 15 or 16, I realized, I can't keep the law. I keep blowing it. I keep sinning. Like, if I'm going to hell, I'm going to go on a scholarship. And so I went for it. I mean, I just was like, I'm passionate. That's kind of how I'm wired. So I just went for it. And so I was like, we ain't just going to do a little bit of drugs. We can do a lot of drugs. We're not just going to drink a little bit. We're going to get rowdy. We're going to turn this town upside down. And that was my strategy for a good five years. 
And so I just went for it. And at the end of it, you know, halfway through college, I, they caught up with me. Let me tell you, there's consequences to our sin. It just is. And man, it caught up with me. But in the middle of all that, the Lord used a believer that was just a faithful servant that loved God. He was in the Navy for six years. He got out of the Navy, came back to Wilkes, and we reconnected and we're hanging out. And then this guy just started speaking truth in my life. I'll never forget our last conversation. He said, sold the truth, and you bought a lie. And the lie you're believing is going to leave you. And you're going to come up short. It's going to leave you unsatisfied. A couple months later, that guy died. All I could think about was that last conversation. He was salt and light. He lived it. He just didn't talk it. He, he lived it. He walked it. And he wasn't a pastor, but he was a minister. And he ministered to me when I was in my darkest hour, running as fast and as far as away as I could from the Lord. He ministered to me. And God used it to turn my life around. So fast forward to the summer of my junior year. I'd been walking with the Lord for about a year. I was part of a great Bible study. Those guys were helping me and helping me get back into my purpose and calling and following the Lord. And a buddy of mine from Wilson, North Carolina, talked me out of doing something stupid. My plan was, me and a friend, we were going to work hard for two months over summer break and take the last month, go down to Ensenada, Mexico, and it's on the Baja Peninsula, and just surf and fish and have a good time. I mean, yeah, I'm following Jesus. I'm just trying to have a good time, you know? I'm like, let's surf and fish and get a little cabana, and let's just get one month before, like, I grad, you know, I got a year, and then I'm real world. Well, this guy in Wilson was like, Stuart, man, and he had been a mentor, been helping me out. I know you could do that, and you'd probably be okay, but what if instead of doing that, what if you just take that money, you save it, at the graduating, it's saved, you save it, and I'll pay for your trip to come with me to Brazil for 10 days for a mission trip. Man, wow, that's a good offer. <laughs> man, all right. Yeah, sure, I'm in. I won't go to Mexico, I'll go to Brazil with you. And so I did, and I went. And I found out I'd been on a mission trip when I was 14. I just thought all that stuff that God had stirred in my heart, I just figured that was gone, like with me and my craziness, you know. I was just like, God doesn't want to do anything with me overseas. But I went, and the Lord just started moving. We saw a bunch of people get saved. We were working along the Amazon, and I just fell in love with the people of Brazil, just these river fishing communities along the Amazon that are so remote. And I'll never forget on that 10-day trip, we met a lady that had never heard the name Jesus. It just blew my mind. How is that even possible today? Jesus, you've never heard of Jesus? Nunca ouvi. Uma palavra de Deus. You've never heard of the name Jesus. Never. Wow. Blew my mind. So I talked to the pastor. Hey, man, I'm going to graduate in a year, and I love what you're doing. Is it possible if I can just come here and help you? He said, hold on. Uh, let me ask you a couple questions. Um, would it cost me anything? No, 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 I'll raise my own money. I'll get here. He said, you're in. Come on. Free labor? Come on. You're in. So I took that last year of college and started preparing. The first semester, I got this language software called Rosetta Stone, and I could say the sky is blue. No sale, eh, azul. I was like, all right, man, we're getting somewhere. I could say the sky is blue. That's great. I learned some other things, some vocabulary, but my last semester, I was just having a good time because I was like, man, I didn't get a double major. I didn't get a minor. I had some electives to burn. So I took scuba, and I took introduction to Portuguese. All right. And, man, the first day of this introduction to Portuguese class changed my life. 
you know, in college, the professor goes through the syllabus like, hey, these are the expectations for the year. They, it's kind of a boring day. You know, they just read the syllabus and answer some questions and maybe they do a little lesson. I don't know. And this girl asked the question. He reads the syllabus and she's like, any questions? Uh, yes, ma'am. She's like, what do I have to do to get an A? You never asked that question. Like just, it was a bloodbath. This guy shredded him. I mean, he did. It was like Mortal Kombat from back in the finish. It was bad. I'm telling you, it was bad. This guy goes, you are what's wrong with the education system. I was like, oh, this poor little girl's going to cry. You are what's wrong with the education system. You're asking the wrong question. It's not about what I have to do to get an A. It's not about a horse and a stick feeding it or a carrot to reward it, put the carrot in front of it. It's not about that. You're missing it. You're asking the wrong question. You've got the wrong motivation to learn this. Here's the right approach. And he broke it down for all of us. If your approach is just to get a good grade, do what this says, do it to the best of your ability, turn it in on time. Need help? Ask me. But if your goal is just to learn this, or if your goal is just to, like, get an A or a B so you can get out of here, or your goal is just to check the foreign language requirement, he's like, you're probably not even going to remember a single word in Portuguese in five years. It's shallow. It's not deep enough to transform you. It's just not. He's like, but if your goal is that you realize Brazilians are some of the coolest people on the planet, Portugal is one of the greatest countries in Europe. And they're amazing people. And that by taking the time to learn this language, I will be able to connect to people. I will be able to unlock a part of the planet that wouldn't have been possible without taking the time to learn the language. He's like, and if you approach it that way, you'll start to learn everything you need to know because you'll learn to feed yourself because you're hungry to connect. I wish this guy had been my kindergarten teacher. That would have helped me so much in life. Because my whole approach to education before that part was this. What's the bare minimum I can do to get an A or a B? And that's it. I ain't doing a dime more. Like, that's it. Like, got the A. Deuces. I'm out of school. I got my diploma. I'm in college. I got my, I'm graduating. Like, but it, man, that transformed the way I approached seminary. It connected my heart with what I was doing. I got the why. And today we're going to talk about this idea that God wants to use you. The title of this sermon is Led by Love, but the whole principle is coming down to just living and doing what Christ has called us to do. But if you don't have a heart of love, you'll never be motivated to do it. You'll be either geared up by the carrot or fearful of the stick like a horse. And I don't want you to live your life as a horse. I love you too much for you to live your life like a horse. All right? I don't want you to be fearful, and I don't want you to be pursuing some, like, temporary reward. It's not about that about the heart of love. So if you do, you got your Bible, go to Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Those are the verses we're going to camp out at. And as you're looking for Matthew 5, 13 through 16, I just want to set it up. This is part of the parable. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking to a multitude of people, a whole bunch of people on a mountain. His disciples are there with him. And this is where we get the Beatitudes from. This is where we get into just like, hey, the Old Testament covenant required this, and Jesus is saying it ain't about those laws and those commands. It's about you living it on your heart. It's about your intentions. And so he just ups the ante a whole bunch. It ain't just about doing the right stuff. It's about being right. That can only happen with a heart change. So you start to see all that type of stuff in the Sermon on the Mount, and that leads us to verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Ooh, strong words. Strong words. Okay. This is Jesus. This is not my, it's not my idea. This is Jesus. Trampled under people's feet. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Before I unpack this, I'm going to read this a different way. This is a paraphrase from the message. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put, now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep an open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Uh, I don't know if you caught it at the beginning of my introduction, but the name of our church is City Light. And that's why. What a mandate for the church. What a mandate for believers. Not just to show up for our, our 10, our 15, our 30 minutes on a Sunday morning and live as light. But Monday through Saturday, everywhere we work, play, study, live, eat, everywhere we go, we've got our light on a stand, and we are bringing out the God colors in the world. Love that. You might be under the impression that only preachers can share the gospel, or only Ministers can share the gospel. And you're right. Only ministers can share the gospel. But here's the catch. Every single one of you, if you're a believer, you're a minister. You're a minister. You don't get off the hook from doing this. Well, I didn't go to seminary. I don't have the Masters of Divinity. I haven't gone through the doctoral pro. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You don't get a pass. Jesus says, hey, you're the light of the world. Go be light. I mean, it's old school. This is the type of stuff I'm teaching my little two-year-old daughter. Hide it under a bush. Oh, no. I'm going to let it shine, right? I'm teaching this to my two-year-old. Jesus is teaching his disciples and the early followers, hide it under a bush. Oh, no. got to let that thing shine. You ain't got to go to seminary. You don't have to. But I think what we do is, well, I'm not equipped, so I get a pass. I don't have to live. I don't have to live as salt. I don't have to live as light. I'm not ready. No, that's a lie from the pits of hell. Satan came up with that lie. You got to go to seminary before you can share the gospel. No, no, it's nonsense. The disciples, you got a tax collector. You got some fishermen. You got some rowdy guys. Peter, then he walked with Jesus for three years and on the last night, takes his sword out and slashes someone's ear off. That's not because he was trying to give the guy an ear job. What he was trying to do was kill him, and he missed his throat and hit his ear. Three years with Jesus, and he's still that rowdy and that raw. 
and rough around the edges. Kidding me? And then after the Holy Spirit comes on him, he preaches one of the best first sermons. 3,000 people get saved. Are you kidding me? A few days earlier, he's sitting there trying to kill people. If you're a believer, you're called to be a minister. But just like that professor helped me, he gave me a key that kind of unlocked my motivation for learning. I want to give you a key. The key is love. We've got to learn to be led by love because anything else is going to run up short. We're going to stop short because sometimes you got to get awkward. Sometimes you got to go for it. It's a little uncomfortable. Jesus, are you asking me to step out of the boat? No, Jesus is asking you to develop a friendship with your coworker. You can do it. God wants you to know your neighbors. I'm telling you, one of the greatest evangelism strategies is called hospitality. Touch your neighbor and say chicken wings. It's football season, people. It's football season. You cook some food. You throw some burgers on the grill or my personal favorite chicken wings, and people will show up. And you begin to just invest. You make some friends. You share the love of God, and you don't have to be weird. You don't have to give them a track. Just feed them, and they will come. Fill the dreams over here. Just feed them, and they will come. And then over the course of connecting and meeting and sharing stories and getting to know each other, start asking some questions that matter. I'm going to give you a principle. I'm going to jump on notes and just give it to you right now. And I'll tell you later why all this stuff matters, get you motivated. But this is how. This is the how. It's called SALT. S, start a conversation. A is really challenging. Ask a question. Ooh, L's the hardest. L's so hard. Let them talk. Just, just let them talk. Don't interrupt them. Don't listen to try to come up with your point for your rebuttal. No, no, just let them talk. And then T, tell them the story. You don't have to take them through the Romans road, but you can. You don't have to draw three circles in our brokenness and sin and humanity and God's love. You don't have to do that, but you can. My personal favorite is just to be led by the Spirit. Hear a, hear a need. Oh, man, so your parents raised you in church, but then they live like the devil all throughout the week, and you think that all Christians are hypocrites. Oh, man, your father ran out on you when you were small, and it just left this devastating knife wound to your heart. Man, let me tell you about a good father that will never leave you or forsake you. Just, just listen to the Spirit, you know. It's not that complicated. Just be willing. The hardest part is just taking the first step. But that's that basket. That's that basket going over the, hide it under a bush. Oh, no. It's that. It's that fear. It's that fear. But let me tell you this. Let me just, sorry, I'm getting carried away here. I'm having way too much fun. Let me tell you why this is important and why this is a really hot topic for me. Because if living for Jesus and shining your light for an hour each week on a Sunday morning, if that was enough to transform the world, the world would already be changed. Not enough. It's about living as salt and light and being led by love Monday through Saturday. It's going to change the world. Every believer is a minister. Let me just give you a couple of things. I just want to paint. Look, I don't want to depress you. I don't want to make you sad. But it might happen. So you're warned. You're warned. I'm sorry if this makes you sad. All right, there's 7.3 billion people on the planet. All right, 7.3 billion with a B. 
out of that number, this is a very generous estimate, 2.3 billion people are Christians. That's 5 billion people on the planet that are going to go to hell. Be separated from God for eternity. That's terrible. That's terrible. That tells me two things. One, the world's big. 7.3, good grief, that's a lot of people. A lot of people. The world's a lot bigger than just Raleigh, North Carolina. 7.3 billion people. A lot of people. So the world's big. And then number two, the world's lost. Probably don't have to convince you of that. You, you drive in traffic and, oh, man, that person's a sinner. Look at what they just cut me off. The world's lost, though. Come on, man. Think about all the things that are getting voted on right now, all the conversations that are happening. How many shootings are going on? Just look at the news and you'll discover something's wrong with the planet. People are crazy. People are broken. People are hurting. I mean, how can you leave a kid in a closet and just leave? The world's broken. But we, anyway, all that to say, the world's big and the world's lost. And you just kind of bring it back down to Raleigh. I've been learning all this stuff through uh, these pastors that their whole goal is just to make disciples that make disciples. So they come alongside of church planners and pastors and just, hey, I'm glad that you've got programs, but how do we make sure your programs are making disciples that make disciples? And so... I learned this from them about the city of Raleigh. 60% of the people in Raleigh will never come into a church. Probably doesn't surprise you if you ever try to invite somebody. And, and there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church. Don't hear that. Like, that's good. Let's do that. I love this place. Pastor Anthony's amazing. Worship's amazing. People can come in and feel the like an atmosphere of faith, hope, and love. And, like, they'll hear the gospel preach, and they'll have a moment to, like, respond and start following Jesus, like, Many of people have gotten saved at these altars. Like, there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church. Don't hear me say church is bad. No, 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 no. Church is good. Church is the hope of the world, man, a local church. Like, I'm all about it. I'm just saying, simply, we have to change the front door of the church. Like, this is a good front door, but we just need a front door all over the city. For T-ball coaches. For workers. For lawyers and business leaders. For moms and dads staying at home to raise their kids. We got to change the front door. I mean, there needs to be a front door to North Park Church at, church at every park in the city. Because we're living this thing out Monday through Saturday as salt and light. City on a hill that can't be hidden. Light of the world. All right? So 60% of our city will never attend church. So they're unchurched or de-churched or gave up on church. And this, this next stat is going to blow your mind. It's from the Billy Graham Association, and it broke my heart. Didn't want to believe it when I read it. Probably going to feel the same way. 90%, 90% of Christians will never share the gospel with anyone. I'm not talking about inviting people to church. I'm saying they will never share the gospel. And you know why that breaks my heart? For a lot of reasons. One, you got 10% trying to reach all, I mean, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work for all of us. But for 10%, a lot of work. It's, impo it's just impossible. Something's got to change. We have to get geared toward making disciples that make disciples. Get back to what Jesus told them to do. Right when Jesus, look, so I know this sounds bad, but look, there's a strategy. It's time-tested. It's time-proven. It's old school, and it works. Matthew 28, 18 through 19. I'm going to read it to you. It's, Probably you're very familiar with this. 
Then Jesus came to them. This is right before he ascends to heaven. The last things he said. Oftentimes, our final words are our most important words. All right, just remember that. This is what Jesus told the disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority. How much authority? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I'm with you always. And surely, I'm with you sometimes. Um, Surely, I'm with you, yeah, always, to the very end of the age. There's no situation you can walk into that God's not with you. Man, if you are a believer, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. The same power that rose Christ from the grave lives inside of you. Why would we hide the light, the truth, the hope, eternal salvation, the answer to humanity's problems? Why would we hide that under a basket? Why? Well, I've narrowed it down to three reasons. There's probably a lot more, but these are the big three. Number one, I think because we're afraid. What if they reject me? What if I just put my heart out there and step out and they're just like, I'm never talking to you again. I don't know if I could live with the heartbreak. I had a professor when I started seminary at Southeastern. This guy said, the world is more shocked by our silence than they are offended at our truth. And his whole point was, like, if you believe that people are on their way to hell, God, forgive us for not being vocal about trying to give them the answer. And so I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm not, you're not horses. I'm not going to beat you with a stick. I'm not going to dangle a carrot in front of you. All I'm saying is we have to live this. And the way we live this is God gets a hold of our heart and we start getting led by love. Because there's a need. The world's big and the world's lost. But this is how the church was started. It's that simple. The church, it wasn't attractional. I don't know. Maybe I disagree with that. Like here, we'll come. We got good music. We got smiling faces. We got phenomenal preaching by Pastor Anthony. Attractional, yeah. But then they had like fish and loaves. I'd show up for some fish. Like I'd show up for some free food. So I don't know. There's kind of, it's not either or. It's both and. We come to church on Sunday morning and we bring as many people as we can. We, commu- we have community where people know us and we can be honest. Hey, man, I was a real jerk to my wife this week. Will you pray for me? I need it. Hey, I'm really struggling with fear, and I'm worried about my finances. Would you help me? Like, we're honest about stuff. Man, we done walked into the terrible twos. What do I do? And then you get someone that's already been through, oh, you're going to be all right. That kid's blessed. You're going to be fine. Let me help you. And we love the community. I love the family of God. We need each other. But we also got to be welcoming all the time. Man, there it is. Prodigal sons and daughters all over the city. There's people that have given up hope, given up on truth, and they are just living in darkness. They need the light. So let me give you two principles to help you. Number one, if we're going to be led by love, let me teach you this. Love stretches us. Love stretches us. Stretches us. It Love stretches us to reach out. To do stuff we don't want to do. Come on, anybody married in here? You know you don't sometimes want to wash those dishes. Love stretches us to cut the grass. Love stretches us to go watch that chick flick movie we don't want to see. Love stretches us. 
but none of that compares to the way the love of God stretches us. We start to see people that are hurting, that are broken, that need hope. They need love. They need to know that it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. It matters where you're going. And God can turn it around in a moment. We know that. But we'll never share that message if we don't allow the Lord to lead us by love. Love stretches us to reach out. Think about the woman at the well. Y'all remember that story? The woman at the well, she had uh, been married five times and was living with a man that was not her husband. She goes to the well in the middle of the day when it's hot because she wanted to avoid people. Well, guess who she ran into? Jesus. They have an amazing conversation. It starts up here superficial on the surface about religion. Well, you Jews worship the Lord there. Uh, Sumerians worship the Lord here, this way. And Jesus got past all of that. And he said, hey, you're, do you have a husband? No, you're right in saying you don't have a husband. You've been married five times, and the man you're with now is not even your husband. Well, this is what happens. She comes to faith. She learns about living waters inside of her and what Christ is offering. She goes back to the town and says, come meet a man who told me everything I've done. Could this be the Messiah? No condemnation about like, yeah, y'all know I kind of get around. None of that. Come meet a man that loves me. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the one we've been looking for? Y'all got to come meet him. And people come to faith in Samaria. Are you kidding me? What about the demoniac? He had so many demons. What's the name? Legion. Jesus walks in. This guy was wearing no clothes. He had been chained. He would run around in the desert struggling. He gets set free because he meets Jesus. And the next thing you know, the people walk up. This guy's clothed. He's in his right mind. And he's having a conversation with Jesus. And he begged the Lord, let me go with you and your disciples. Let me go with you. And he was like, no, you're not coming with me. Go back to your town and tell them what I've done for you. He didn't have a seminary degree. Just tell what God's done for you. Love stretches us. When you encounter the love of God and how, man, when we were at our worst, he picked us up. When we were being the biggest boneheads we could be and making terrible decisions. Or we were just born into a sin nature and we lie and we cheat and we steal and we were just, we're human. And we're separated from God because of the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's what he offers. That's what it looks like to be salt and light. We share that with people. Love stretches us to reach out. Number two, and this is really important, love sustains us. Love sustains us. Come on, sometimes our intentions are good, but we'll stop short. Like we'll have that conversation one time. We'll pray for that lost cousin one time. We'll, we'll pray for our neighbors and be gracious with them and extend grace one time. But, man, we need to be full of the Spirit, led by the heart of God, led by love, so that we can be sustained day in, day out, day in, day out. Man, my mom retired a couple years ago. When she retired, we came back from Dallas. As we've been there six and a half years, our church there sent us back here to plant this church. And so I came back in from my mom's retirement, and I was amazed. They went around the room, and testimony after, well, excuse me, they wouldn't call it a testimony, story after story, after story, after story about how my mom prayed for someone. How my mom saw someone crying and put the arm around them and said, you're going to get through it. God's for you, not against you. You can make it. Man, they went after story after story of people getting healed of cancer, 
like not knowing how they were going to pick up the pieces after they got divorced, not knowing how, how they were going to get out of bankruptcy. They just went story after story after story, just how Deborah just kept praying for me. Miss Deborah just kept encouraging me that I could make it. I hadn't been to church in years, and Miss Deborah kept telling me I needed to go to church with her. And I'm telling you, I was, I mean, I couldn't have been more proud of my mom. Just for 33 years of working at BBNP, being the salt, being the light, day in, day out, just beat the drum, beat the drum, beat the drum. God loves you. He's for you. I'm praying for you. Oh, you've got questions about spiritual life. I can answer them. Just day in and day out. Man, I just couldn't believe it. That's what a lifetime, that's what a career, 33 years of just doing the same thing. Day in and day Love sustains us. And we'll never live like that without the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. We're not that good. We can't perform that well. We need God creating in us a new heart every day. God renewing me a right spirit every day. So here's my application. Here's my homework assignment for you this week. I want you to do three things. I do. One by one, I want you to begin praying regularly. Holy Spirit, fill me. I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to be controlled by the Spirit. Galatians 5 lays it out. We've got a war going on inside of us. We can either be led by the Spirit or be led by our flesh. I won't know about you, but I want to be led by the Spirit. I do. I mean, nothing's impossible to God. That's 5 billion people on the planet that need to know God. And God could use you to connect somebody with his story. So I want you to, this week, number one, start praying. Holy Spirit, I want to be led by you. And look, you can start. Just pray it early in the morning. Pray before you go. I want you to just create a lifestyle. Just, I'm, I'm in the car. I'm on my way to work. God, today, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I know I leak sometimes. But I need you to fill me fresh again. 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 I want to be continually being filled by the Spirit. Fill me today, God. I want to live by the Spirit. I want to be led by love. I want to be led by you. Number two. Ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to be salt and to be light. Just ask Him. It's that simple. Lord, if there's anyone in a one-mile radius around me, will you just direct me to meet them where I can tell them about your goodness? They might be hopeless. They might be ready to quit life. Just let me meet them. Lord, if you give me the opportunity, I'll take it. Start praying for opportunities. Man, I got a list of people that I meet throughout the week, but then also I got some family members on that list that I've been praying for for a while. And each morning I just start, Lord, I pray for these people, and I'm going to keep praying for them until I see them come into the kingdom. That's number two. Pray for the lost. Put a name to it. And number three, when the opportunity arises, take it. Just take it. The hardest part is just the first step. And after you take that first step, God's with you. Remember the Great Commission? And surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Those are the three things I just, look, you don't have to do this. You can leave this building and forget everything I said. But I'm just telling you, there's so much more to your walk with God than just coming to church on Sunday morning for an hour and looking like you've got it all together. It's an invitation to the greatest adventure of your life. And I'm telling you, the world is big and the world's lost and the world needs all of us to be full of the Holy Spirit, walking into darkness and being light. And God wants to use you. If you are a believer, you are a minister. It's that simple.